This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Just About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Today, we're talking about sabbaticals, and our guest is DJ Dodonna. Right after Harvard Business School, DJ launched a startup. And then, for seven busy years, he traveled the world. DJ was exploring credit scoring for small businesses in emerging markets. And his business was successful, but eventually he felt burned out. So, in 2017, he took a long break from work, so he'd have time for things unrelated to his job, like taking a walking pilgrimage in Japan. That experience was so rewarding that last year he took another sabbatical, traveling in Africa. Those two sabbaticals brought a different perspective to DJ's career and his life. He was so intrigued by the impact of disengaging from routine work that now he's immersed in the sabbatical project. That project is researching why long breaks are so effective at rebooting busy professionals. And DJ and his colleagues are exploring how our work culture might be improved by allowing substantial breaks from your routine job. DJ, today we'll be talking about your research into the power of sabbaticals, but the conversation really starts with your own career path, I think. Would you... Uh, start by sharing your story of how you got off to a very fast start as an entrepreneur, but rather early in life, you were feeling burned out and you wanted to do something different. Sure. So I think I came out of business school uh, wanting to really make a difference in the world. And I co-founded a company that provided credit scoring in emerging markets. So it was working on access to finance. How can you determine who's a good credit risk and and who's more risky in an environment where there's not financial infrastructure to do so. So in order to to succeed at that job, you had to be everywhere. We had to live and work and travel across emerging markets. And, you know, over the course of seven years, I lived in three continents, Africa, Asia, Latin America, and uh, traveled to dozens of countries to do so. So I think in some senses, some people would tell you, how did you How did you take so long to burn out? (laughs) It sounds exhausting. (laughs) It was it was exhilarating though, and I think that one of the things that I I didn't realize until I took a step back was how conditioned I was to the definition of work and the role that it played in my life, and also how tightly my identity was interwoven with my company. Oh, that's interesting. That's a special degree of pressure because. It's not just your job. If you are the company, then everybody who has an interest or a dependency on the company depends on you too. So that's more pressure. Right. And I think it, I think this affects entrepreneurs, but I also think it affects, I know that it affects, you know, nonprofit leaders, folks who who really feel like if they take a step back, they're not only letting themselves down, but they're letting their colleagues down and, and more importantly, letting down the people that they're, that they're serving. And so I think it's not uncommon to get kind of intertwined with the kind of work that you do and, 
and really not want to let the people down around you and, and instead kind of sacrifice yourself, you know, on the altar of, of hard work and overwork. When you started noticing that you were feeling really tired and maybe you just weren't yourself and um, you knew you had to do something, how, how did you get the courage or the inspiration to take a, a really significant break? Some people find it very hard to let go from the, the treadmill, even if they do switch jobs. Absolutely. I think that for me, honestly, it just didn't feel like there was an option. I mean, I had never taken a significant period of time off. I don't think I'd ever taken more than 10 days or two weeks off in a row since college. Um, however, I just kind of found myself not bringing my best self to work. And you know, I mean, there's, there's a clinical definition of, of burnout, and I think that's what, that's what I was suffering from. Um, but I want to make sure that, you know, especially in this conversation, we don't just phrase taking this time off as a response to a, a negative outcome, right? I think there's a lot of positivity uh, that, that can be surrounded by sabbaticals and people who don't wait until <laughs> they absolutely need to and it's an emergency can get a lot from it. But, you know, I had a couple influences in my life, whether it's friends who had taken multiple months off um, from their jobs or long honeymoons. And um, I think that that normalized it a little bit because I agree in a culture where we're not really used to taking all of our vacation, let alone long chunks of time off, it's pretty difficult to imagine what it would be like to take multiple months off. The people that I know who routinely take sabbaticals tend to be university types, professors who have research. And although it's a break from teaching and a break from their day-to-day -day work, it's uh, sometimes very much the same thing. They, they go to Europe or they go to Africa and they study their topic. And it's, so it's a break in that they have control and they don't have to teach, but they're still on the same career path. When you took a break, you... You just put work aside for a while. Is that right? Yeah, it's important to understand that obviously the, the word sabbatical is something that we're using because people understand it. Um, it's not necessarily the, the best word, and I'm not sure it's the term that we'll ultimately land on. But, you know, sabbaticals were originally created uh, in the late 19th century by the president of Harvard. And the idea was that academics needed to go and share their ideas and also learn from the academy in Europe and elsewhere um, in order to kind of advance the field, right? And it, it morphed into something where you're leaving aside your routine work and having to work on the second part of your job, which for academics is, is research. I think the same can be applied to folks that are not in academia, which is obviously, you know, the majority of the working population. Um, it's taking a step back from this routine job and routine work, and not necessarily sitting on the beach for months, but, but investing in kind of self-work, right? So you could be working on a hobby or following a curiosity. A lot of people I speak to um, actually end up trying out something that they wish they always would have done, whether it's trying to write a book or learning a new skill. And so I think that, uh, that there's a lot of similarities between the concept of sabbaticals and academics and also in, in more working professionals. So back to you, when you knew you just had to take a break, how did you decide what you would do next? It, you did some international travel, and 
that was one of the things that had been so tiring in your in your regular job. Did did you immediately think you wanted to travel again, or did you consider a variety of options? It's a it's one of the things that's most difficult to explain to folks. I think that um, the idea of going traveling to recover from a, a life and a work life balance that included too much travel is can be difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I. I really wanted to do something uh, to nourish more the spiritual side of myself, to be honest. And I think that, you know, number one, what the research shows is that getting separation from your current work can be quite helpful in, in recovering. So, you know, if I were to stay around by the office, I think it would be difficult to get that separation from, from work and life. But, I mean, one of the reasons why these large chunks of time off are important and valuable is there's things that people want to do that take a long time. <laughs> and so for me, it was this uh, pilgrimage in Japan that I walked on. It was uh, six weeks of, of walking almost a thousand miles. Um, wow. That's just not something that you can do, you know, with a, a two week slot of vacation. And um, also, I mean, it was in Japan. And so I went to New Zealand and Japan. And those are places that I think are pretty difficult for most Americans to find accessible on our short vacation calendar timeline. Um, you know, as it'll take a couple days to get there and a couple days to get back. So um, I think it was it was travel, but it was a very different type of travel. Obviously, I was not working. I was doing something that I felt was was nourishing and something that um, you know, after having completed that, I think had a huge impact on my life. And so that outweighed the the sacrifice of having it not be in my backyard, I suppose. So how long did you take this break? And what did you do next? I took my sabbatical. It was about four months. Um, And, you know, on that trip, as I was saying before, I I was able to truly kind of gain the self-confidence that, um, number one, you know, whether our business would succeed or fail in the future, um, I needed to kind of look out for myself first. And, you know, really one of the hallmarks of, I think, creating a successful business is that it can outlive you. Um, and so I thought that was important for me to, if I wanted to start other things in the future and, and have a more varied career, to be able to, to leave that first one. And we ultimately uh, were acquired afterwards. And so there was a good story at the end of that. But I didn't know that at the time that I made the decision to leave. And, you know, one the other thing that I realized when I was off was I was exercising on a concept of making an impact in the world that was scale right so how can we have a scaled impact on as many people as possible and what i realized when i was on the pilgrimage uh was that the the things i looked back on my career and was most proud of were these kind of intimate impacts that we had had whether it's individuals we had helped give access to credit that we got to meet or individuals in the company who we'd kind of nurtured um who had gone off to grad school and and gone to found things of their own. And so I really wanted a more intimate impact in the next phase of my career. So I, I went to uh, work with and eventually run a nonprofit on whose board I served for a year. So I had a, a time-bound position to help them hire uh, a new executive director and uh, think about growth plans in the future. And while I was doing that, I you know, was just telling people about my experience taking time off and and I actually found a lot of people who had taken extended time off themselves and sabbaticals. And the narrative from them was the same every time. It was, that was one of the most 
amazing, important, um, you know, decisions of my entire life, uh, absolutely life-changing. And so I realized that many other people were, had had the same decision, uh, you know, the same outcome that I had from taking this time off, but much more people felt as though that it was not accessible to them. They couldn't take that time. And so that led me to want to investigate more deeply on what's actually going on when people are taking these sabbaticals, these extended periods of time off, and you know, what role should this play in our, our work and in our lives? My recollection is that after your nonprofit job for a year, you took another sabbatical. Did you do that with the consciousness that this time you wanted to look at sabbaticals and how they work? Or was this purely another break? I think it was, I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, because, first of all, I... One thing I realized about myself on the sabbatical, which most people close to me could probably have told me and maybe have told me, <laughs> is just I took I approached my, my sabbatical with the same degree of kind of rigor and uh, and craziness that I approached work. So I, I tackled a huge um, goal and it was very physical and trying and difficult. And, you know, I wanted to produce writing afterwards. And so it was I realized that I was attacking time off in the same way that I attacked work and really wasn't allowing myself to just enjoy it. And, you know, I think if you look at everything from the Grant study, the Harvard study, these studies on happiness um, that have been conducted longitudinally for 75 plus years, no one sitting on their deathbed saying they wish they worked more, right? And so it really got me thinking about how to develop a healthy relationship between time off and work and happiness um, that I wanted to experiment on the second round. And so I really tried to indulge in things that I wanted to do just for me. Um, and also, you know, with people that, that meant a lot to me. So, you know, investing in community and traveling with others. Um, so that was, a, that was the intention of that experiment. Where, would, where did you travel the second time? The second time I did um, some trips across Latin America and, and Southern Africa. And, you know, also spent time in Southern Africa working with friends and nonprofits. Um, and so, you know, really tried to spend less time kind of on myself, on a, with myself on an individual journey and more time investing in others and, uh, you know, trying to enjoy myself a little bit more. My observation uh, from other people who take breaks from um, their regular jobs is that sometimes focusing on other people is an important part of the disengaging. It's a way to really take a break sometimes. So that's not an unusual um, choice, it feels like. Well, anyway, you had this second one, and you were really conscious of the impact. And from there, it feels like you, you took a turn and, and started connecting with um, academia to look at this in a collective way, look at this with um, your, now you have university colleagues. Can you tell us about this project that you've put together and how you're framing your look at sabbaticals? Sure. I mean, since I had started a business myself, I mean, I think that in order to, to change the culture around this, number one, we have to figure out is what I experience and the people that I speak to, is that 
is that actually representative of the, of the broader community or is there some sort of you know selection bias or or something going on there that that needs to be uncovered and so um, set out to, to try to uncover some evidence and rigor in figuring out what's happening here so partnered with a professor at the University of Notre Dame, Matt Bloom, and his Well-Being at Work initiative to, to help understand when and why sabbaticals lead to positive outcomes for the individuals who are able to take them. So that's step one, is just trying to get more rigor uh, and structure around understanding what is, what is happening here. And then the second part, you know, f- as a former business owner and, and founder, is trying to figure out from the company's standpoint, what do they stand to gain and, and, and lose here? Um, and understand, you know, which companies offer sabbatical policies and, um, and what the best practices are around that. So we're kind of wrapping up phase one on the individual research right now, and I'll be moving on to, to phase two, the latter part of this year. I know that you haven't quite wrapped it up yet, but can you give us um, some idea of your early findings? Absolutely. So I think, first of all, one of the most interesting findings that I've found is just this concept of permission that that people need to take time off, right? You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I find that permission to do this comes from a variety of sources, primarily um, one's community. So how did your family inspire and uh, influence how you chose to think about work growing up? a lot of folks, you know, maybe their professor or their parents are professors, and so they saw their parents taking off time uh, over the course of their lives. And so that kind of, you know, to and fro with work and time off was not that unfamiliar to them. I've also spoken to people from, you know, whether com- their country culture actually influenced. So whether it's um, folks from Israel that commonly take a year after military service or folks from Commonwealth countries like the UK or Australia um, where these, these gap years and this time away from the routine is, is rather common. So permission is a huge piece. I think that, as you mentioned before, it's, it can be intimidating to take multiple months off, and you can either gain that from hearing about other people like yourself that have done it and returned you know, to great successes, or I think testing out yourself, like what is it like when I take a month between I start the next job versus just starting right away, or... How about taking three months and, and kind of planning that out? The second is uh, we're seeing a lot of patterns around duration. So people will ask, how long do the, does the time off need to be? And I think from our initial research, what we're seeing is people pretty much universally agree that it takes a couple months just to disaggregate yourself and, and really disconnect from that self at work. Um, people say that a minimum of three months and ideally six months is, is good for having the full experience of, of disconnecting and also investing in something. You know, and taking it from a vacation where you're doing things to a period of time where you're actually able to be yourself and, and be things, whether it's living for a long period of time or investing in a passion or curiosity. And I think the, the last finding that, that is emerging is Everyone wants to know what happens when you return from this time off. So do you get better jobs? Are you you on the job market and no one wants to hire you? What happens? And I think that what we're seeing is a shift from extrinsic to intrinsic motivations and how people choose work and how they relate to to a job. So how that manifests itself is typically people, you know, 
moving to jobs and companies where they have more autonomy, um, you know, choosing things less based on how they look and their optics and more based on how they feel compared to what they want to be doing and, and who they actually are. Um, and, you know, ironically, I think that the majority of the people we talk to don't experience, you know, a decrease in pay. It's actually the opposite because you're going from usually a company where you have set raises and things like that to the nonlinear raises that you, you achieve when you, you know, move to other companies. You know, unfortunately, the majority of folks who are taking these extended periods of time off are not doing so within the bounds of the companies. They're having to get out there and kind of courageously carve that time off themselves. But, uh, but it's seemingly having very good effects on folks. Those are three interesting results. I, I want to focus on them a little more, but first, can we go back to this concept of permission? Now, when I was working as a lawyer, I was one of those people who was not good at taking breaks, but I've been coaching a long time now, and I've become a huge believer in, in taking breaks of all sizes, whether it means a, like breathing for a minute before you go into a meeting or taking a, a Friday off occasionally or uh, taking a long lunch or taking a vacation. There's all kinds of research about the importance of breaks of various types. But I see my clients sometimes being much like I was years ago, and it's really hard to get them to take a break, even when it seems pretty obvious from the outside that they're desperately in need and, and um, will do better when they take some time off and come back with a new perspective. So I think one of the things that happens in coaching and as you share some information that the data becomes permission. You can show that, that this could actually help their work. That's a form of permission. But, but let me ask you a question. Um, here's a hypothetical. Let's say we have a listener out there who's feeling like you were, who, who's totally burned out Maybe the idea of a long break is not possible, but, but even a three-week vacation is something they haven't considered. Can you make the case giving permission to a burned-out listener out there who, who's desperately in need of, of taking some time off? What, how, would you, how would you argue that it would be a good thing if they're feeling burned out? So I don't want to drift into... Um, I don't want to drift into claiming that I can solve things like burnout, which is, mm-hmm. as I said, kind it's of complicated. Kind of yeah, I don't want to give any medical advice here. Right? Don't but mean to intend that. Is, <laughs> if you if you step back, I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results, right? So, I think when someone gets to the point where they're thinking about doing something different or they can't figure out how what they're doing can bring them the kind of happiness or fulfillment that they want. That's, that's their body and themselves sending, sending a message, right? Yes. Um, I also think that, that time off and being able to appreciate and take time off is a bit of a muscle. Um, it's totally understandable that someone would be intimidated by taking six months off. And so I would encourage folks, you know, can you take those two weeks off and be completely disconnected and see how that feels? And maybe that'll help them work up to taking three weeks off or taking a month off and, and getting to that point. 
I mean, one of the whole purposes of, of the sabbatical project is to provide both the kind of rigorous data and evidence and then also the qualitative stories about people that have taken this risk to take time off. Um, and I think that will help give people permission that they might not see in their tight circle around them. I mean, you know, some of the, the key words that I hear from folks in the interviews that we're doing um, and the research is, you know, establishing a reconnection with loved ones, you know, exploration of their authentic multidimensional self, thinking critically and objectively, um, developing confidence and self-understanding. You know, we have a CEO that, that takes time off to learn to weld and fly a biplane. We have a programmer from Yahoo that takes a month-long road trip with their 11-year-old daughter and, you know, ends up having an incredibly deep transformative experience with her. You've got folks that explore the world with their new spouse on an extended honeymoon uh, to visit their, their family's homeland or, you know, take care of an ailing parent um, reinvest in a relationship or end a relationship. So I think that if, if someone is feeling this kind of symptoms of burnout, um, or if someone's just feeling kind of the itch to explore something that they've wanted to do, um, you really got to ask yourself, how else are you going to do those things unless you kind of make space from work? Um, and I hope to, to help, you know, change that narrative and among companies so that it doesn't require such a big sacrifice sometimes for individuals to do it. And also get people thinking about it proactively because, you know, the truth is if you wait until you're already burnt out and, and you know, can't imagine dragging yourself to work, you're going to be spending a fair amount of your, your time off actually healing yourself, <laughs> which, you know, makes it difficult to, to enjoy yourself. And I think that's something that I experienced on my, my first sabbatical as well. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University is having an impact today while providing innovative education for tomorrow's leaders. The master's program in public administration and environmental studies lead students to greatness in nonprofit, environmental, public sector, and government settings. Learn to lead at the Voinovich School. We're now accepting applications. Information is available at ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. In talking about um, a sabbatical, the way we've been describing it is often when a person makes a shift between jobs or perhaps makes a shift and then changes jobs, that the break really uh, is the cause of going in another direction. Can we shift our focus a bit and talk about uh, this from the perspective of the employer, of the company? I know you haven't done all of that yet, and um, but I'm interested in what you're theorizing. As a, as a business owner, are you thinking that uh, you can promote the idea that this is good for business, that um, business owners can have uh, better relationships with or work from their, their 
professionals if they allow sabbaticals? I think this is the thing where I've been the most pleasantly surprised. Uh, it's actually been more difficult to convince some people that that they should and can take extended period of time off than it has been to you know hear from business owners the the value in allowing their employees to take these policies and the unexpected uh, benefits from doing so. I mean, I think that the the strongest initial arguments before we dug into the to the research was, you know, talent follows benefits. And so especially out here in, in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, you know, the average tenure of new employees at companies like Google and the tech industry is just over two years. And so these companies are, are fighting to try to re- recruit and retain the best talent. And, you know, with all of the expense to train folks up front, you know, the longer you can keep someone that's trained and keep them engaged in what they're doing, the better. There's real money to be saved there. Um, but I think that what's emerging in as we talk to, to businesses and business owners are some different, more kind of nuanced benefits. I mean, one is that we spoke to a law firm that, has a mandatory policy, a sabbatical policy for their senior partners every seven years. And, you know, they were worried about the clients being upset that they were having to work with more junior partners and junior staff. They were worried that all sorts of things. And what ended up happening was it became um, great for the, for the firm because they had more touch points inside their clients so that the, you know, partners couldn't just leave and take their clients, you know, full bore. And it was great as a career development opportunity for the junior lawyers. And so that actually fed into the recruiting that you would have you know, more hands-on experience with clients at an earlier stage in your career. Um, and then also, obviously, as a, as a benefit, that's exciting to folks that they could advertise for recruiting. But I think that two other things have, have emerged I think are quite important. One is this institutional resilience. And so people will say, well, if I'm a business owner, how am I going to you know, allow for people to just randomly take sabbaticals at different different junctions. And I say, you know, well, a lot of your company can get pregnant at any given time, and all of your company can certainly leave the firm at any given time. And so would you rather have those things surprise you, or would you rather develop kind of institutional resilience and, you know, a muscle there around how do you share and spread responsibilities? How do you cross-train people to, to take up slack when, emergencies or, you know, things befall your, your coworkers and employees. Um, and I think that's, that's really important, you know, especially for smaller businesses where, that feel the brunt when key employees leave. Um, I know a, a friend of mine is a co-founder of this uh, nonprofit school in, in South Africa, and he took a sabbatical after 10 years of, of founding and running the organization. And it helped him come back and say, okay, which areas really lagged and, and we did we not do well in while I was gone and which areas actually were, were quite strong and maybe stronger in my absence. Those are things that, that you can't really tell until someone actually steps away and I think provide a lot of benefit. Um, and the final thing I'd say is just when employees, there's a lot of, of study recently around divergent thinking as it results to creativity. You know, in this economy where we're having to innovate and be creative, you know, and asking that from employees all through the organization, um, the key to divergent thinking is having people invest in hobbies and, and things outside of work to, to stir kind of creative creativity and creative thinking. So it's actually investing in your employees' ability to be creative at work and bring that back to work. And then, you know, you're also, 
you're also creating a relationship with your employees where they feel loyal to you because you're offering them an amazing benefit that that had a transformational effect on your personal life. So um, I think the the evidence is is actually pretty strong. It sounds strong. There are a lot of um, potential benefits, and I suppose it depends partly on how an employer shapes it. There seems to be a lot of flexibility. Is a sabbatical um, maybe unpaid some of the time or partly paid or... Um, is there a, are there a lot of different ways that people allow a sabbatical to occur in, in terms of um, um, salary and benefits and all of those things kind of continuing? Or are there st- pretty standard practices? There's, there's absolutely no standardization. <laughs> it's, a, it's quite fragmented. I mean, and you have organizations from, you know, for-profits that have been around 100 years to... You know, nonprofits and school districts that are offering them. And so, um, you know, really right now it's a bit of the Wild West around, I think employers increasingly know they need to, to give this sort of benefit. They don't know how many years before folks uh, should trigger it. They don't know what kind of compensation um, they need to provide. And so we're actually developing a partnership with, uh, with a Harvard Business School professor on uh, working with companies, writing case studies, and understanding, you know, what is what is best and what works. But um, from the perspective of the individual, which is where we have the most information right now, you know, again, if you're not giving them disconnection, so they're actually able to detach from, from work, um, and you're not giving them a, a significant amount of time, um, I think it's, it runs the risk of, you know, spending a bunch of money and having people be out without, uh, recuperating a lot of the benefits that, that sabbaticals can provide. So when I talk to business owners, who have taken sabbaticals themselves, one couple things that they wish they would have done or, or have tried to roll out in their policies is, can you provide coaching um, to the individuals that are on sabbatical? You know, the period of off-ramping from a very hectic, intense job into, you know, investing with, you know, in yourself or doing something um, that's fun can actually be more difficult than, than you would think. Um, and I think having coaching along that spectrum to make sure that they're planning things well and um, feel like they have a support network and, um, and you know, kind of dealing with some of the learnings that they uncover is, is important. And, you know, also corporate policies around helping them detach, so ensuring that they don't have access to email or, you know, employees can't reach out to them for random questions, I think is, is pretty crucial. But, um, you know, I think some sort of continuity of benefits is, is quite important. I think that if people are planning long enough ahead, um, you know, you can save up so that uh, that the financial hit isn't that great. And I also think that you can plan to do things like rent out your house and, you know, create a budget where the actual expenditure on sabbaticals, uh, I find a lot of the people I talk to is much, much lower than their expenditure in, in everyday life. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I think, policy learnings that, that need to be spread out there and best practices that need to be shared. It's uh, a bit kind of everyone operating in their own private walled garden at the moment. One of the ways I, I think this new trend that you've focused on of sabbaticals is actually playing out is under the heading of early retirement. I see quite a few folks leaving their big careers earlier than they planned and taking some time off to figure out what they're going to do next, and often 
doing that with coaching, which is why I'm, I'm noticing it perhaps, but then creating a totally different kind of career that's some kind of blend of giving back and taking care of themselves, but also some paid work, which maybe hadn't been what they expected. So that might be an area where people are exploring some different options out there. Uh, and, and what is happening, the people who still have old-fashioned retirement, is that's how um, their companies are continuing to support them. Maybe um, there would be a possibility for, instead of early retirement, a sabbatical and then coming back on a part-time basis. Who, who knows if we explore these things? Exactly. I think... I think that brings up a good point. I mean, I, I was working with uh, the Inspired Leadership Initiative at Notre Dame, which is a new program modeled after similar programs at, at Harvard and Stanford that bring people kind of in their twilight career. So they've had a successful career and they're trying to decide what to do next. You know, should they go straight into retirement? Should they uh, start something else? Should they work on uh, giving back? And, you know, I sat in on a class where they were learning about flow state and, and um one of the individuals was saying that, you know, he was auditing an art class. You, you stay on campus for a year. You can audit whatever class you want. And there's some, some programming for the actual individuals themselves. He was auditing an art class and he said that, you know, he had spent three hours just in a sketchbook. He totally lost track of time. And it was the first time that he'd done that since he was 14 or 15. And, you know, I think spending 40 years, 40 plus years, 50 years um, working and not knowing that about yourself and investing that in, in yourself is, is pretty tragic, right? And so how can you take the learnings of folks that are towards the end of their career and, you know, what's rewarding at that point in time and, and try to put it in little bursts um, throughout people's career? Because the reality is for, for my generation and, and younger, this kind of social contract between the individual and the company is, is not there anymore, Right. You have to manage your own career. You have to manage your health and wellness. You have to manage skill acquisition, right? So taking time off. You know, I had someone I interviewed went to a coding academy and was able to change their line of work completely from consulting to, to software development. And so I think interspersing you know, moments of joy and accomplishment and also learning growth over the course of your career as opposed to just front-loading it in kind of college and grad school and then, you know, pushing it all to retirement that, that everyone hopes they can get to. <laughs> but who knows at what age, you know, our generation is going to retire at um, does not seem to be cutting it for most folks. And so I think that a, a sabbatical can offer the opportunity to, uh, to eat your cake and have it too. Well, I agree with you. But as, here's my final question. I love the idea of, of small bursts of of joy and exploration throughout your career. So let's say we have listeners who start to are starting to think, gosh, they could use some breaks. Do you have any suggestion on how to start exercising um, that muscle that we talked about? How, how can we inspire um, listeners who like the idea and want to take a small first step to try this out? What's a good starting point? Well, I think back to a meditation teacher who, you know, when you ask him for recommendations on books on meditation, he says to meditate. And so I think that, you know, 
really practicing the art of, of disconnection is important. But also, you know, talking to people and asking, I mean, one thing that I've been surprised about is just you would, you would think by some people's reaction to the work that we're doing on sabbaticals that no one's ever taken one. And when you actually ask folks, um, you know, at conferences, at work gatherings, you find that people, a lot of people have actually shoehorned in these extended periods of, of time all throughout their life, whether it's, you know, taking three months before they start a job or, you know, backpacking and traveling when they're in college or, you know, an extended parental leave. Um, and so I think it's actually one of the best kept secrets that, f- that some folks have found a way to um, integrate extended periods of time off with successful careers. And a lot of those folks actually credit their periods of time off for their success and, and health. So I would, I would say, number one, just start strengthening that muscle around, you know, ring fencing your time off, taking it in large chunks, not being afraid to do so. This is especially important for leaders of, of companies because those folks are setting the tone for the rest of the, in, the institution, right? If you aren't seeing your boss take their time off, then it's going to be pretty difficult for, for people to take their time off. So exercise that muscle. Um, talk to people about it and, and ask. And, you know, hopefully we'll be sharing a lot of stories coming up about people's time off and, and, you know, if people can find someone that they identify with to give them kind of permission themselves, then I think we can, we can make a change here. I mean, we weren't, we weren't given the weekend for free, right? There was no such thing as the weekend 150 years ago. So we had to, we had to fight for that. And, um, I think this is within our power to change, but, uh, we are the ones who make up companies. And so let's, let's change it. I totally agree. I can't wait to see the results of your research, and I think you've picked a fabulous topic. Thanks so much, DJ, for sharing some of your thoughts with us today, and I hope we've inspired people to give some thought to taking breaks. Great. Thanks for the opportunity, Bev. Really appreciate it. Today we've been talking with DJ Dadana about how sabbaticals can transform the lives and careers of people who are able to take them. Today's career tip is that regularly taking breaks is critical to your health and well-being. And the energy and perspective that come from occasionally disengaging from your job can actually empower your work. If you've enjoyed our show, please tell your friends. And if you love this podcast, I would so appreciate a five-star rating. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Thank you.